Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome or welcome back to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is now a teacher over in Lancaster County, and several weeks ago, uh, we had the opportunity to go to a high school football game, which I had not done in many, many years. And we sat in the section that was right next to the student section. And so I can just tell you that that was kind of more interesting to watch them rather than a lot of what was going on in the field uh, that evening. But it took me back, as I'm kind of watching all these you know, teenagers, it took me back to my school experience. It was a little bit traumatic, but I was remembering kind of the, the teenage concept of love. You know, and, and the idea of whether you're you know, middle school, high school, just a lot of confusion over the concept of love. And so some of that happens, you know, in, as we're growing up in teenage years, but it really carries over into to our adult years as well. And God speaks in his word over and over and over again into the confusion that we have about the concept of love. And I think he does that for, for two primary reasons. The, the first is that God wired us to be loved. So he wired us to, to crave love, and our craving to be loved drives us many times to, to pursue that in unhealthy ways. And probably many of us could tell stories about that, could tell stories of how love has driven us to perform, to try to get someone else's love, or to, to put up with abuse because we felt like that was our, our ticket to, to be loved. So there's a lot of different ways that we can kind of confuse love, but God put that craving for love in us because he wants to satisfy it. And we've seen that in our study in Romans, if you have been here, a couple of really key verses that, that key in on that. Daryl just referenced one of them, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so there's no performance there that we have to offer to try to get God to love us. He loved us when we were unlovely. And then at the end of Romans 8, the probably the most powerful chapter in all of Scripture, God reassures us that absolutely nothing, he goes through this long list, absolutely nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God intends to satisfy our craving to love, to be loved. So we, we are created to be loved and we are created to love. God wired us to love. We know that because of the, the two greatest commandments that Jesus highlighted. The first and greatest commandment is to love who? The, the Lord 
your God, say it with me, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then the second greatest command is to love who? Your neighbor as, as yourself. And so love is really to be our brand, the brand of our faith. It is to be what we are known for. So in light of that, it is vitally important that we understand what love really is so that we can receive love and give love in the way that God intended. That is what we're gonna be looking at this morning. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one on your seat. Uh, if you're here in the room, page 1049. If you're online, please turn on your tablet, on your device at home and read along. While you're turning there and getting that open, I want us to review our key core verse for, for Romans 1.17 because it sets the course for, for all of the book. Romans 1.17 says, the one who by faith is righteous shall live, shall live. And so the, the whole, the first 11 chapters of Romans are all about the one who by faith is righteous. Now, the last chapters of Romans 12 through 16 are shall live. What does it look like to live according to God? So the first two verses of Romans 12 call us to be transformed. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we, we thought about a butterfly being uh, metamorphosized. That's probably still not the right word, but you know what I'm talking about. And so God calls us to be transformed. And the first picture of our transformation in chapter 12 is of us serving. And so Pastor Steve talked about that last week. I loved his exhortation, his challenge, his encouragement to us to, to serve. And I'll, just a kind of a footnote on that. As we've been heading into fall ministry relaunch here, a lot of, I'm hearing a lot of our different ministry areas talk about what's going on in their area. And there are three primary things that I have heard, three areas where there are needs for people to serve. So if God's been stirring in your heart to serve somewhere, then our student ministry is busting at the seams. We need some, some really great leaders to step up there on Sunday nights in particular. And our hospitality ministry, greeting out there at the door that Joan heads up, um, that, that is in need of some smiling faces, friendly faces as well. And then our AV, if you would prefer to serve behind the scenes, our AV floats back here in the back. There's, there's all kinds of ways. There's other ways as well, if none of those float your boat. But uh, if God is stirring in you, you can email serve at gracepointpa.org, and we will help connect you to the the ministry that uh, you're interested in, or if you don't know where you wanna serve, we can help you discover and, and plug in that way. Today, we're gonna move to the second evidence of transformation in Romans chapter 12, and that is love. So, starting in verse nine, let love be genuine. Okay, we'll, we'll just pause there before we go on. Let love be genuine. Actually, in the Greek there, there's no verb right here. Actually, what it literally says is genuine love or love without hypocrisy. 
And that's, that's not love the verb, that's love the noun. So it's kind of like a heading for the rest of the chapter. Genuine love, colon, and then what follows is an explanation of what love really looks like. And, it's, and it starts with, let love be genuine, without hypocrisy, not two-faced, not a love that pretends to be for the good of someone else and is really for your own good, your own selfish gain, but it's a love that follows Jesus' example and then is gonna lead us, Jesus' example leads us to sacrifice. So Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love should be our brand. Those of us who are following Jesus, love should be our brand. You know what a brand is, okay? We're, we're surrounded by brands all the time. When we encounter a brand, a logo, uh, a, a store, or a product, a brand is kind of, it's, it's a statement to us. It becomes a statement, as we get to know it, of what we can expect from that, that brand to deliver. It becomes an expectation in some ways for the brand itself, for the company itself, it becomes a promise. Like if you, if you buy this product, this is what you can expect. If you come to this store, this is what you can expect. And so Jesus says that he wants the expectations of his followers. He, when people think of his followers, he wants people to think of Love. He wants that to be what comes to mind. That's the expectation. That's the promise that is made. Here, it's, it's significant that Jesus does not say that, that our brand or that people would know that we're his followers by our doctrine or our, our system of beliefs. So, so Bible teaching churches, we, we oftentimes are very concerned, and rightfully so, that that we have a, a pure doctrinal system, that we have a pure belief system, that what we're teaching is true, that it is biblical. And so we, we wanna know that what we're talking about is right versus wrong. And beliefs are important. I mean, Paul just spent 11 chapters talking about beliefs, but we live out our beliefs in love. And Jesus says that's what he wants us to be known for. Whenever this topic comes up, I feel like it's important for us to take a painful look in, in the mirror and realize that people outside of our circle, the, the first thought that comes to their mind oftentimes is not love. For, for churches, for evangelical churches, for churches that, that teach the Bible, that's not the first thought that comes to mind. And I'll just cite this study again by, by Barna because I think we need to be reminded of how much work we have to do. This was back, this is not that long ago, November of 2019. Which of the following words, if any, would you use to describe evangelicals? So that would be like Bible teaching churches in general. So the evangelicals there on the left, we think, pretty, we think we're doing pretty well. We think we're caring, friendly, generous. Non-Christians, non-believers, not so much. I mean, they don't even get up to 10%. I mean, that's, that's really sad. And then this next slide, what uh, those, those numbers there at the left, like where it starts with blue, blue is very positive. 
and then it goes down to very negative where it's black. What is your overall perception or opinion of evangelicals or Bible teaching churches? Evangelicals, again, we think we're doing great. Look at how it is the exact inverse. Please, please understand this, that people, I don't, if you're not interacting a lot with people who are out of the church, this is the perception of our culture, of us. We have a lot of work to do. Do not think that, that we've got this figured out. So, we know that the world has a distorted view of love. The church needs correction in this area as well. And so, fortunately, Paul gives us a picture of what genuine, others-centered love, non-pretending love looks like, and there are two aspects of it that we're gonna see here in chapter 12 today. First, genuine love for members of God's family, those of us who are part of God's family, and then genuine love for people outside of God's family, even our enemies. So there's gonna be a lot of detail, there's a lot of commands that we're gonna look at here. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do so that you don't get overwhelmed, is anything that kind of jumps out at you, anything that kind of stirs you up a little bit, that's, that's the Lord nudging you in that particular area, so pay attention to whatever that is as we go through these here this morning. First, what does genuine love look like within God's family? So consider this a checkup as we start here again in verse nine. Let love be genuine, or genuine love, colon. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. All right, so this seems like, honestly, some, somewhat of a random list of ways to show love for one another. This is actually kind of a common practice in Paul's day is just to create lists of whether it's uh, virtues or, or vices. So we're not gonna take time to go through each of these in detail, but I do wanna highlight just a few things here. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. That word brotherly affection, we would recognize because it is exactly the word in Greek, Philadelphia. So I thought you might wanna see what Philadelphia looks like in Greek. There it is. I can tell you that Philadelphia, brotherly love, we don't learn Philadelphia, brotherly love, the best by going to an Eagles game. I've been to a few, and every time I go, I learn words, I hear words that I've never heard before, and I have to come back, and I ask Daryl, what does this word mean? And somehow he knows, but anyway. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great, so, so there's this phrase that floats around, right, it's a Philly thing. Wouldn't it be great if it's a Philly thing didn't mean something negative if it actually meant, wow, a Philly thing is brotherly love. Wouldn't it be great if we could figure out how to model that? Philadelphia, phil, phileo, the, the Greek word phileo is a family term. It, it has to do with being part of a family and standing by a family member, standing up for one another. Some of you, some of us, 
did not really experience that in our family of origin. And so being part of the family of God gives us a second chance to experience what brotherly love, what affection can really look like. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So those of you who are competitive, outdoing one another, this is God-sanctioned competition. Figure out how to outdo each other in showing honor. What does showing honor look like? It looks like preferring others ahead of ourselves, putting others first. Not putting self first, but doing things for the good of others, showing respect for for others. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then it gets very specific. Verse verse 12 and 13 are really good. These, These are really good instructions for us as we live in community with each other, particularly in small groups, if you're in a small group. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, Contribute to the needs of the saints. And, and saints there, just, just so you know, in, in Scripture, saints is talking about people who have come into relationship with God. It's not a special group of people that are set aside in some way. It's, it's for holy ones in God's sight who have come into relationship with Christ. So contribute to the needs of one another in God's family and seek to show hospitality. This is a great vision for, for groups. I mean, if we think of our church family as like an extended family, I mean, some, some people, you know, kind of peripherally, it's kind of like, you know, third cousin, I know somewhere out there. So you may know people as acquaintances, but our small groups are like our immediate family. They're, they're the people that we get to know well. They're the pla- that's the place where we practice these things of how do we love each other in everyday ways. Our, our, our goal, our focus for our small groups is to know one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another. And so if you are not in a group yet, t- today is a great day to explore that. And so that. That picnic, the picnic is designed to be a a connecting time. And so maybe you're not ready to get into a group. That's okay. Come to the picnic and just enjoy hanging out and and make some just natural connections with people over lunch. But if you are interested in taking that next step and getting involved in a group, then there's going to be a group tent out there. There's going to be people walking around who you can ask questions. You can ask any of us on staff We'd love to help you get plugged into a group. And we even have starting point groups that are specially designed for those of you who are brand new to to get you together and get you to know one another and just kind of get you introduced to Grace Point, to take a next step beyond this big group experience on Sunday morning, but to get to know people up close and personal. So that's, that's a little taste of genuine love within God's family. It's no surprise that God calls us to love people within God's family, but he, call, but he calls us way beyond that. So he goes on to talk about what does genuine love look like outside of God's family, even our enemies. So verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Let, let me pause here and just, just note that this goes straight back to Jesus' teaching. 
And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote for you here in just a moment from, from the Sermon on the Plain. There's a Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and then the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. Before, I, before we read this, and we'll put it up on the screen, I just have two words to give you a context to think about that, and that is election year, okay? Now, let's read uh, Luke 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Okay, that is a, that's a tall order, right? That is a tall order. If you've ever had somebody slap you on the cheek, either literally or, or figuratively, if you've had someone curse you, this, this is a tall order. We could spend a whole message uh, looking, looking at that. But... <laughs> I just want to make the point this morning that we have work to do in this area, particularly as we think about the, the area of politics. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you, like, I'm starting to get anxious already because we're coming up to this, this election year. But I want to share something with you from, um, from Russell Moore. Russell Moore is the editor of, of Christianity Today. And I read this article from him from the end of last year. And, and here's the title of the article. I can share this with you if you're interested in reading the whole thing. But it's called Losing Our Taste for the Fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, it's kind of a, an intriguing uh, title right there. He said that a friend sent him a, a clip of two Christian political commentators arguing that their cultural opponents were so sinful that they had sunk to the level of subhuman. And, and this was a quote from them. Our enemies are demonic, one said. There's no turning the other cheek. There's no being winsome. And so... Russell Moore goes on to say, I mean, they're kind of already dismissing the fact that, I mean, Jesus specifically commanded us when, when we're struck on the cheek to turn the other cheek. But he says that the counter argument is that was fine for those times, but not in a culture that's this hostile to Christianity. That doesn't work anymore. For this, we can't be weak. We have to fight. Now, here's what Russell Moore says. He says, the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain was delivered not in Mayberry, but in Roman-occupied territory. Crosses lined the roads for those who would dissent, and Jesus was speaking to those he knew would be arrested or tortured or killed. It's hard to get more hostile than crucifixion. And his point is, he's advocating a return to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Even in the face of verbal attacks, even in the face of people coming against us, he's saying this, this, the, the fruit of the Spirit wasn't just a strategy that may have worked in Jesus' day. This is Jesus' command to us that is timeless. And so the call to us is to demonstrate genuine love to those who are outside of God's family or outside of our political view, which may or may not be the, the same group of people. Because here's, here's what I want to say, and this will probably come up again because we've got months and months till, the, till election year, but... Regardless of which party wins the election, if, if we as Christ's followers in the process alienate people from Christ, 
then we have lost. I, I'm, I'm going to say that again because I just I think it's so vitally important for us to understand. Whoever wins the election next year, if Christ followers alienate people in the process from following Christ, then we have lost because that is our priority, people. <laughs> That's our priority as a church is to introduce people and to have them love Jesus. And so people should know us not by the political party that we're in, but because we follow Jesus because we love people. And we, we're getting a hard call of what love looks like. We're getting a tall order here in this passage in, in light of what Jesus has told us. Love should be our brand. There, there are more ways to show genuine love here in verses 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And now when we get to verse 17, we're, we're gonna drill down into a picture of love that when we get this right, it stands out and catches the attention of, of the world because it's so very different. It, it's how do we respond when people attack us? Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Repay no one evil for evil. N.T. Wright says, revenge keeps evil in circulation. Okay, think about that for a moment. Revenge, returning evil for evil, keeps evil in circulation. We're called to break that cycle, take that evil out of circulation. Verse, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So what that indicates is it's not always possible. I mean, the reality of living in a fallen world, it's not always going to be possible to live fully at peace, but as much as it depends on you, from your end, your goal, our goal should be to break the cycle, to choose not to feed the conflict. Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it. And some of you have a footnote there that the Greek is to give place. So it's leave room. The idea is leave room for God to bring justice. Okay, it's kind of like God saying, don't, don't get in my way. Okay, this is my department. I know how to be truly just. God is never too harsh. He's never too lenient. Some of you will remember Pastor Jeremy talking several weeks ago from chapter 11, verse 22, about the kindness and the severity of God. There are these two aspects of God's character, his kindness, his severity. He knows exactly, perfectly how to balance those things. We do not. And so instead of paying someone back for what they've done to you, which is the, the natural response, that's what most people in the world do, the transformed response, the metamorphosized response, is to return good instead of evil. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. All right, that seems like a strange kind of thing to say. What, what we know that that can't mean is that you should be so kind to someone that that person looks worse to God and then his judgment will be worse. Okay, that's, that can't be what that means because that kind of flies in the face of returning good for evil. Here's, here's what that more likely means. Paul was probably referring to this Egyptian ritual where people would take a pan when they were penitent, when they were repentant over something. As a public demonstration of that, they would take a pan and they would put burning coals in it to demonstrate their repentance. And so if, if that's what he's referring to, which makes a whole lot more sense, then what he's saying is, do good to your enemy. If, you're, if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by returning good for evil, by you demonstrating good in the face of evil, it may just prompt a response of goodness in them. It may prompt a response to say, wow, I have been wrong, and I need to repent of that. That won't happen. That's not a guarantee it'll happen if you do good, but it's a guarantee it won't happen if you're just gonna feed the fire, if you're just gonna feed the flames and the conflict. So does that mean then if someone harms us, wrongs us, and, and we don't take revenge, does that mean they're off the hook? No, because Paul's whole point is to leave it to the wrath of God, verse 19. Leave it up to God. Just send it into God's department. God, this is above my pay grade. You take care of it. You know how to bring justice here. I was just reading this morning in my daily reading in Psalm 59. If you're, if you're in a situation right now where you have been wronged and you're trying to figure out how to sort through that, Psalm 59, and there's a, there's a bunch of other Psalms actually, but that was the one that I read this morning that just reminds us that God is the God of justice. And we can ask him, Lord, bring justice to this person. And that, but that's God's job. Our job is to return good for evil. The summary here in the, the final verse of chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The New Living Translation puts that, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Please note that we are to conquer evil, not our enemy, okay? We're, we are to conquer evil evil, because the real enemy always is spiritual. We, we know that from Ephesians 6. We know that we are not, we're not fighting against human enemies. We're fighting against spiritual forces that are behind the scenes. When we get this right, it catches the attention of others. When we return good for evil, it demonstrates love in a way that causes the, the world to, to stand up and pay attention because it is so unnatural. It is supernatural. See, see the reality, when, when most people 
hurt you, and particularly, I mean, people outside of the family of God that hurt you. I know there, there are times where people inside the family of God hurt us as well, but talking right now about people outside of the family of God. The, the truth is, when they hurt you, they, they oftentimes don't really have any other choice. They don't have any other option. All, all they have available to them are natural impulses, but not so for you and for me. And that's the whole message of Romans 1 through 11. So Romans 8 tells us, Romans 8, 13 and 14, and so this is a reminder back from Romans 8. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So love should be our brand. Love should be our brand, and we can't do that on our own. But the good news is we don't have to. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a source of power available to us that he calls us to rely on. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna sing that song again that expresses so much, that the Jesus way expresses so much of what we just talked about. Father, may we make that declaration as we sing here in a few moments to, to do life your way instead of the way that comes so naturally to us so many times. Lord, so many times we are, we are selfish, we are self-protective, particularly when we have been hurt by others, particularly when we disagree with someone else and we think that what they're, they're doing is harmful and we, we need to put a stop to that or get in the way of that. Lord, we so many times rely on our own strength instead of turning to you. Lord, we, um, we are humbled by this call to... Um, to, to return good for evil. But I pray, Lord, that even in small ways, we would be intentional in this coming week to return good for evil in, in our personal relationships so that we, as a, as a family of God, as a family who bears your name, can represent you well and follow in the footsteps of Jesus who did exactly that returning good for the evil that was given to him. So, Lord, strengthen us, we pray. Help us to be good representatives of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.